Hey, Temple family. Uh, so glad that you're joining with us, and we can't wait to be back together again next Sunday, Lord willing, right? Never have we meant those words more before, Lord willing. We're hoping that that is his will and his desire is that we will be back together next Sunday, and I can't wait to see you guys again. And as we're ending our series this morning called Unfriend, we're seeking to continue to recover the biblical vision of friendship in the midst of a cancel culture. And as we're looking to the scriptures to talk about friendship, um, based on the presidential debates of this week, perhaps we should talk about how uh, friends don't interrupt one another or call each other names or tell each other to shut up. Uh, but we're not going to deal with any of that because I don't think any of us uh, really want to park on the debates too much. Instead, we're going to continue to look at this friendship between two really unlikely friends, Jonathan and David. And so I encourage you, please grab your Bible. Uh, if you're using your phone typically for your Bible and that's what you're watching on, don't worry, we'll have the text down here. We're actually going to look at a good bit of scripture this morning, even though we're going to be in a familiar place. So we still want to say our creed together, though, for our heart's sake uh, and for the sake of some normalcy. And so, man, I'd ask you, wherever you are right now, would you just declare this with me? The Bible is the word of God, and the truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me. For your glory and my joy, amen. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining in. We're going to be in the book of 1 Samuel again. The book of 1 Samuel again this week. This week will be in chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17. And, and we've been looking at this friendship of Jonathan and David kind of in reverse. We, we began with the very end of their friendship, the last moment that they ever saw one another. Uh, we started out in chapter 23. And then we kind of walked backwards and ended up in chapter 18, which is where that friendship all really actually began, although it sort of began in chapter 17. That's the first time Jonathan saw the heart of David and the heart for David, uh, the heart for his God. And, and so we're going to look at chapter 17 today with what's considered one of the most and, and best known stories in the Bible. And I think it's one of the best stories, not just best known. I mean, it's great. And there's a ton of great stories in the Bible. The story of Joseph and the, the parting of the Red Sea. And, and then, of course, all of the life of Jesus is amazing. But, man, right up in there, in that top five list or whatever with the greatest stories in the Bible, is the story of David and Goliath. Now, a couple of years ago, uh, Neil Childs shared kind of, our view of the story of David and Goliath, that maybe our perspective on it is a little bit off, and we're going to refresh that, I think, it's this morning, because I think it's deeply entrenched the way we typically read the story. But then we're going to look at even a little different perspective as well, dealing with this idea of friendship in a culture that's so quick to tear one another down, to turn each other off, to cancel one another. We want to seek to recover what God's view is for relationships. And that begins really at the, at the very end of 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16, David gets a glimpse into the, the life of the kingdom when he's invited to come play the harp for King Saul when he's stressed out. Uh, he's troubled by a spirit. And we don't totally know exactly what that means, but he, he's troubled by something. David comes and he plays the harp. Apparently he's pretty good at it. And it kind of soothes Saul. And then he's going back and forth because he's still a shepherd. The shepherd boy, right? That's how we know him. And still taking care of his father Jesse's sheep. 
And so when we, we pick up the story in chapter 17, the, the Philistines have come out and, and they're battling against the Israelites, which it feels like we read that on every other page or every other chapter throughout the Old Testament. They're, they're constantly at war with one another. And this story begins the same way. Only this time, there's a, a little something different. There's something big different. It's, it's a big dude. And, and so we, we look at verse number four. It says, there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion. Isn't that a powerful word? A, a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. Now, here's the deal. We don't measure with cubits. We don't even have the metric system figured down here in the West. So, like, we sure don't know what cubits in a span and all that really is supposed to mean because it was a different form of measurement. And most of my life, I've been taught uh, that that the equal uh, measurement here would be nine foot nine inches, give or take a little, right? That that Goliath was nine feet nine inches tall. And there's some people who, today who've debated that that measurement's exaggerated. That's probably not what it was. It was only seven and a half feet tall. And here's the deal: if a guy comes out to battle with me today, this champion warrior, and he is either nine foot nine or six or seven foot six, right? Either way, I'm toast. And that's the point. This is a a daunting army who sends out a daunting champion, warrior, and it's a daunting battle, right? And that's the point of this. And it's not just that it's overwhelming. It's that this continues to go on and on. The the text describes how mighty and and powerful Goliath is. But, But then it says this down in verse 16. It says, for 40 days. I just think that's an important part to not skip past. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward, took his stand, morning and evening. The reason I think that's important is we see that this battle is not just overwhelming. It's like it's never ending. It just goes on and on and on. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. Man, I'm not just facing a battle that's overwhelming. It seems relentless. It seems like there's no end in sight. There's no break in sight. It's just dragging on and on. And so 40 days and 40 nights have passed here. And Jesse, David's father, sends him to go take some food and supplies to his brothers who are in the battle. Well, who are watching the would-be battle. For 40 days and 40 nights, they've just been camped. And seeing this champion come out, who has been asking them, can we please go to battle now? And so Jesse sends David, and, and David goes out to see his brother. He sees this champion come out. He sees him defy the armies of the living God. And, and he says, man, what? why are we doing nothing about this, you know? And the story's told that David says, our God is greater than this. I'll go fight him. He's calling somebody out. I'll go fight because I believe so strongly in God. And so he's brought to King Saul. King Saul's like, hey, we got somebody who wants to fight. And can you imagine Saul being in his tent, hearing the news? Somebody finally said yes. After 40 days of being goaded into battle, somebody said, okay, I'll fight. And, and Saul's got to be thinking, because he's head and shoulders taller than everybody else. I don't think he was seven and a half feet or nine foot nine, but he was a big guy, right? So I bet he's thinking, how big is this Israelite going to be? Like, how big is this dude going to be who's willing to go out to battle Goliath? And in walks young little David, the little shepherd boy with just his staff and his sling. And the guy came to bring like a cheese tray, like he came to bring a 
uh, a little uh, chartreuse board. I said that wrong. I don't know what that word is, but like the fancy board that everybody's all into right now that I think I just murdered the name of that because I ain't that fancy. Like, that's what he's bringing to his brothers <laughs> is a fancy tray of cheeses and, and, and gifts to his brothers, right? Like, that's his role in all of this. And, and as he's, he's, he's now brought into to Saul's presence, Saul's like, dude, you can't do this. But David insists. Saul says, fine, then try to put my armor on. And, of course, Saul, head and uh, shoulders taller than everybody else, his armor wouldn't fit David. has fallen off of him. David says, no, I don't need any of this. And so we're going to look at several verses now, because the rest of the story, I think God deserves to tell it, not me. I've been kind of retelling this part, but picking up in verse number 40. Then he, talking about David, took the staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook, put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. So he's got five stones, his little pouch, in his sling, staff in his hand, he goes and confronts this Goliath of a man. Literally, right? Verse 41. The Philistine moved forward and came near David with his shield bearer in front of him. The dude's such a big deal that his shield has to be carried by somebody else. That's a pretty big deal. Verse 42. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. He mocked him. He thought, oh my word, what a joke, right? For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. That seems so out of left field in the text, right? It's like David went in face, but he was a handsome boy. It's like what we're already saying nice things at his eulogy, and he hasn't even been killed by Goliath. And already the writer is like, he was a nice boy, so handsome. Lord rest his soul, right? Like he he's going out to face him. Verse 43, the Philistine said to David, am I a dog? Which is, by the way, not a compliment. I know we have dogs as pets, uh, but at the time, that's like a street dog, like a dog that digs through the garbage and hasn't had any of its shots and is probably carrying a bunch of diseases that would freak us out. Am I a dog that you would come to me with sticks? We're, we're, We're playing fetch now, right? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Verse 44, the Philistine said to David, come to me. And I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. The animals are going to eat your carcass. Yikes, this dude doesn't play around, right? And David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, P.S., and a shield and a shield bearer. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Remember all those capital letters there. That's He's declaring in that moment the name of Yahweh. The great I am who is above every other ruler, the the Yahweh of hosts, the God of all other gods, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. He's saying, hey, this isn't actually about me. This isn't about my people. This isn't about the armies of God. It's about God. You've defied God. Verse 46, on this day. The Lord will deliver you into my hand. I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Wow. I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day. Not just you, everybody who's defying our God. You're going to give my dead body to the birds and the animals. I'll give the the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. And here's why. Not so that I'll be considered a champion or a big deal but that all the earth may know that there is a God in 
Israel. And that all this assembly, both sides, the ones who are scared behind me, the children of God, and all of your armies, that all this assembly may know that Yahweh saves, that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, because the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. The Philistine had heard enough. Verse 48, he arose, came, drew near to meet David, and David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine, and David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with stone and struck the Philistine and killed him, although he hadn't killed him yet. Hang on. There was no sword in the hand of David. Man, David already told the guy he was going to cut off his head, but he didn't have a sword. Verse uh, 51 here, David ran, stood over the Philistine and took his sword, drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion wasn't the champion that they thought he was, that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines. What an amazing story. One of the greatest stories ever told. One of the most frequently told stories ever told. This incredible story. And like many of you, I, I've heard this story in my life as, as told that, that, man, look how brave David was. He believed in God and he confronted his Goliaths. So boys and girls, you should be brave like David. God's calling you to be brave like David. He wants you to go fight your battles. Go fight your Goliath. And, and if, if you just do a quick Google search, you'll see hundreds and hundreds of sermons and books that have been sold about us defeating our Goliaths. As though we're being written into the story as lowly little David, the fragile and frail little shepherd boy who finds his courage in God and he defeats his enemies. Well, quite frankly, I'm going to tell you this. I don't think that's how the story is intended to be written. I don't think we are David in the story. I don't think we're supposed to write ourselves in as the one who defeats a champion, as the one who conquers a, uh, an overwhelming army and warrior. That's not who we are in the story. The fact is, David was an unlikely hero in that we couldn't see it. Remember, it's, it's in this narrative. It's Saul himself. That says God looks on uh, that, that regarding Saul, uh, Saul rather Samuel says God looks on the outward uh, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God's rewriting a story here that the kind of savior you want might not be the kind of savior I send. The fact is David wasn't ill-equipped for this. David wasn't some lowly, fragile little shepherd boy. This this frail and lowly little thing. As a matter of fact. We skipped it, but if we go look at the conversation that, that David had with King Saul, when King Saul's like, dude, you can't do this, it's really important for us not to miss this part. Verse 33, Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're but a youth. He's been a man of war from his youth. Like this dude has been killing people your age since he was your age, right? But David said to Saul, your servant, referring to himself, used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear 
or or all mine, yes, and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him. Can we just pause right there? Like, people don't go after a lion or a bear. Like, if it takes a lamb, too bad. Like, see you later, okay, right? But he would chase after them. Is that That's amazing, right? I would go after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Okay, maybe not quite the passive, scared little boy after all. Verse 36, your servant has struck down both lions, plural, and bears, plural, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, verse 37, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, man, go and the Lord be with you. David didn't say, just let me go die on the battlefield. David said, I'm capable in ways you can't see, which is just like the Messiah. The fact is, is I think we're supposed to see the Savior coming from an unlikely source that we aren't David in the story. The Savior, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, is being pictured in this story as defeating the things that are bigger than us, that are mightier than us, that are stronger than us, that seem to never, ever going to be the one that goes away. The, the one we just can't get, it's been 40 days and 40 nights, and we just can't get past this, and then the Savior shows up. Not the way we expected, not the way that we thought he would look, and he conquers. He delivers. Like, what if we've got this all wrong? What if David isn't supposed to look to us like the scared little shepherd boy? What if he's supposed to look like a mixture of, like, Sylvester Stallone and Jean-Claude Van Damme and Jackie Chan and Clint Eastwood and Bruce Lee and Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Mike Tyson, like, all rolled up in one, right? Like, what if he's supposed to be, I know most of those are old guys, so you young people don't even know who I was just talking about, but, like... What if he's supposed to be pictured as a conqueror, as a warrior? That whole idea of David playing the harp, that's such a soft mental image. You're like, bling, right? But what if David, instead of being the soft little dude with the harp, is like, no, he's like Eric Clapton meets like B.B. King uh, meets Eddie Van Halen meets Slash meets, uh, I, I don't know, like, Carlos Santana, like he's all of those wrapped up in one. And that's the reason that Saul was like, well, this dude can play, right? Like, what if it's just that he's an unlikely hero? Just like nobody expected Jesus to come and conquer the way that he conquered. What if in the story, you and I aren't David. We're the children of God standing on the sidelines going, I can't fight these battles. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and says, the battle is the Lord's. And then he does for us what we could never do for for ourselves. We're the spectators. We're on the outside looking in. What if our role in the story is the frightened, scared Israelites going, I have no hope unless a Savior shows up on the scene. So that idea of of a different perspective in the story of David and Goliath has been on my heart for years. Some of the preachers I respect the most have preached this and and shared all these things and written books about it. And and we've shared this with you. I told you Neil's preached on this. 
But then I saw something in this story that, honestly, I'd never seen before. And can I just pause there for two seconds? Y'all just let me rant for a second. How amazing is it? I've read this book start to finish dozens of times, every single word, dozens of times. And then there's big chunks of it, portions of it, that dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times I've read those portions. And yet I can't tell you how often I read this book and see things I've never seen before. It's almost like it's living and active and at work in me. Isn't that incredible? So there's a part of the story that I hadn't noticed before until we began to come at this story through the idea of unfriend. I started relooking at chapter 17 from the, from the concept that, man, Jonathan was somewhere on those sidelines and saw what the Savior did, and that's why he got drawn to the heart of David. It's that idea of what we shared, I guess, three or four weeks ago, that, that true friendship begins with God. He saw the strong arm, uh, strong arm of God deliver through David, saw David's uh, allegiance to his God. That's what drew him to him. And, and so looking through Jonathan's eyes, I saw another part of the story. See, when, when, when David shows up with his little cheese tray, right, and, and he's, he's looking for his brothers, as he's doing that, in that part of the story, Goliath comes out and calls out, who's going to come fight me and starts cursing our God? David's like, what's going on here? And so he enters into a conversation with some of the other soldiers, not his brothers. And they're like, yeah, Saul's given like a huge bounty if anybody can go beat him. Matter of fact, they can marry his daughter if you can go beat Goliath. If you can go to uh, tear down the champion, man, the kingdom will be yours. And he's having this conversation about how bad the situation is when his brothers show up and see him in conversation. This is the part of the story I want us to focus on this morning. It's in verse number 28 and 29. Verse 28 says, now Eliab, Eliab, his oldest brother. And see, here's the deal. Like, Greg, if you're watching, it's always the older brother who starts off being a jerk. Like, notice that in the story. All you firstborns need to get right with Jesus. That's the point of the sermon this morning. I'm just kidding. Uh, Eliab, the oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. Heard when David was speaking to the other soldiers. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. While there's a Goliath standing out in the battlefield cursing our God, the direction of his anger turned against his own brother. You see how misguided this is? How misplaced this anger is? He says to David, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Like I can totally see him. Like just a few sheep? Really? You can't just say he has like a whole little flock of sheep? Like no, it's just a little little few sheep, right? Like so condescending. And then he pretends to know David's heart. Like the dude that for thousands of years has been recorded in God's word as having a heart after God's own heart, right? A man after God's own heart, right? He judges that heart. This is crazy. He says, I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. You just come down to see the battle. You're just here to get a glimpse of what's going on because you wish you were as awesome as us. We've been sitting around here for 40 days uh, hiding in our tents. You just wanted to come to see how awesome we are. I don't know. David replies, verse 29, what have I done now? Like, what now, man? Which is clear that you've got, like, older brother, younger brother here, right? Because he's not saying, what have I done? He's like, what have I done now? Because you're always, apparently, beating me up. 
was it not but a word? Like, all I did was ask a question that you didn't like, and now I'm the object of your wrath? And this is where my heart really began to stir in the story. David threw a stone that did a whole lot of damage to Goliath. But David wasn't the first one to throw stones in the story. It was his brothers throwing stones against him. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And that's not true. That's a lie. Sticks and stones will break our bones, but words can break our hearts. And what I think we see in this context is I think words can break the heart of God. We see that that if we're not fighting the right fight, we're going to just end up fighting each other. If we're not uh, battling for the Lord and and working for the Lord, we're just going to turn on each other. The, The true disgrace in this story, the true heartbreak in this story, the worst part, wasn't that a pagan was saying things. It's what family was saying to one another. It's what the children of God were speaking over each other. The pagan cursed God. But the children of God cursed the ones who bore the image of God. The the people of God had the same script, the same vocabulary, the, the same language as the pagan. They couldn't be distinguished from one another. They were throwing stones at one another instead of being united around the cause of the kingdom of God. That's my heart for this morning. My heart for this morning as the people of God right now, in the midst of a cancel culture, is would that we would not buy the lie that we are one another's enemies. Would that we would not throw stones at one another or turn on one another. May we unite together. Because that's what happened when the Savior showed up on the scene. That's what happened. Remember it says they rose up with a shout and pursued, verse number 52, they rose with a shout and pursued the Philistine. Like when a Savior showed up, they turned from being against each other, from being on the Lord's side. And they moved out together. When they saw a Savior on the scene, they were united. When we see the work of Jesus, when we sing gospel songs and hear gospel texts and listen to gospel sermons and preach gospel to ourselves, when we have our hearts focused on a Savior, then we should shout with each other, not at each other. Listen, we should be lifting up a shout of praise. The Savior has shown up and saved the day. So you're not against me. I'm not against you. Together we have a mission. Together we have a cause because we've been rescued. We've been redeemed. We've been saved. When a Savior shows up, the shouting is supposed to change. And, oh, I believe God wants to raise up right here, right now, a generation who isn't looking at the battle but who's entering the battle, who isn't battering, battling against one another, but is battling against actual evil, not just people that we think are out to get something from us or don't agree with us. Would that we would enter the story of God, rallying around the work of a Savior. One last observation before we're done today. I don't think the story ends there. Because what we realize is, yeah, we're the people of God on the sidelines. Maybe we're the people of God hurting each other, cursing each other, fighting with each other. But there's more than that. The fact is, 
when Jesus showed up on the scene, I'm not totally sure that we should see ourselves as in the Israelite army. Because we know, according to Romans chapter 5, verse 10, that while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. We weren't his, his, his uh, scared soldiers. We were his enemies before Christ saved us. And if we were enemies, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Here's the deal about our champion, y'all. Here's the deal about our Savior. He didn't just go kill what we couldn't face. He went and laid down his life to defeat the thing that was beating us. He sacrificed his own life. The death of his own life, the the sacrifice of his own life is what reconciles us to God. We're saved now by his resurrection life. That's Romans 5.10, but the next verse, reading out of the New Living Translation here, says, So now we can rejoice. Here's the hope for recovering friendship in a cancel culture. It's rejoicing. It's not being quick to unfriend somebody and turn on somebody. It's rejoicing in this. We can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. I can be a friend to a hurtful person because I've been made a friend of God. He is the God who through the death of his son through his resurrection in his life, turns enemies into friends. And so to come full circle, to land the plane here in this series, we serve a God who turns us, when we're the enemy of God, more like Goliath than the scared soldiers, into Jonathan's best friends, covenant friends, enduring friends, faithful friends, that's how he treats us. He turns a Philistine into a Jonathan. He turns a Goliath into a Jonathan. He turns enemies into friends. That's what unites us. That gives us reasons to rejoice and to celebrate when everything else seems discouraging, depressing, unknown, and, and, and we don't know what's coming next. We can have hope. We can have confidence because we serve a God. We follow after a God who turns enemies into friends. That's my story today. And I pray that it's yours too. If it's not, keep listening. In just a second, we'll give you some information about how you can click the link below that says, Can We Talk? We can have a conversation about how you can cross over from an enemy to a friend by placing your faith in the work of Jesus. We want to know for sure that that's your story because we're for you and we believe in you. Let me pray for us as we end our time together this morning. Father, thank you for the attention span of my friends here as we're meeting uh, online again. God, may, may our focus today not be on our Goliaths. Might our focus be on a Savior who pursues us, chases after us, because He's already conquered our enemies. We don't even know it. He's done all the work to turn enemies into friends. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son into our battle. Thank you for sending Christ to rescue us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. I love you. I will see you next Sunday.